A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. As Halloween swiftly approached on October 30th, the residents of Keyworth, Nottinghamshire were busy preparing. Doorsteps displayed carved pumpkins, and bowls filled with treats were being stocked to hand out to trick-or-treaters the following night. On that same dark autumn evening, a teenage girl in Keyworth left her home to see her boyfriend. She had made the journey many times before, but there was no way of knowing this night was different. I feel very, very um, antagonistic towards him. I would like to have him in a room somewhere. Well, I'm sure the rest of my family would, actually. Yeah. I would like to inflict some of the things on him that he inflicted on my daughter. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 20 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a two-part case. The second instalment will be available in four days. The day before Halloween in 1983, at approximately 8pm, Colette Aram left her home on Normanton Lane in the village of Keyworth. The 16-year-old intended on walking almost a mile to her boyfriend's on Willow Brook. Typically, Russell Godfrey would have collected Colette, but as his car was being repaired, she had decided to make the journey on foot. Her mother Jackie worried about Colette walking in the dark, but her daughter assured Jackie she would be fine. Before she headed out the front door, Colette called out, I won't be late. 
Nicolette's route would typically take her down Normanton Lane, right onto Nicker Hill, and then onto Willow Brook. As Russell patiently awaited his girlfriend's arrival, a resident in nearby Nicker Hill less than half a mile away was startled by the piercing sound of a young girl screaming. He got up and peered out of his window to see where the noise was coming from. As his eyes adjusted to the glare from the glass, he spotted a small red car speeding off before it disappeared out of sight. Russell was getting anxious as he waited for Colette to arrive, and his parents shared his concern about where she could be. Russell made a phone call to see if something had held her up. Colette's mother answered and told him that her daughter had left. It was now around 9pm. An hour had passed, which was more than enough time for Colette to have reached her destination. Jackie and Colette's father Tony met up with Russell and his parents. They began searching for Colette, retracing the route she would have taken to Willow Brook. Jackie couldn't shake the feeling that something terrible had happened. After an hour of searching, Jackie and Tony called the local hospital, fearing their daughter had been involved in an accident. Colette had not been admitted. Jackie and Tony quickly reported their daughter missing. Detectives soon arrived to take statements and begin their search. Jackie later described how she knew that her 16-year-old daughter was not just running late. She was so predictable. She was always concerned we would worry about her. She would always tell us where she was going. I knew at the time something was seriously wrong. I think every mother knows her children. Investigators initially focused their efforts between Colette's home and her destination, journeying the same route the two sets of parents had taken earlier that night. Using their flashlights on that chilly evening, officers scanned any isolated lanes, making sure to check in any bushes by the roadside. Colette Aram's family were actively involved in the search efforts from the beginning. They paused for only a short period before continuing the search at the break of day. Colette's 19-year-old brother Mark drove around the area with their grandfather Ronald Twells. As they travelled along Thelby Lane, a small country road between Keyworth and Widmerpole, an area surrounded by fields, Something caught their eye. They pulled over to get a closer look, and with horror, Mark realised he was looking at the partially naked body of his little sister. Colette had been posed in what was described as a sexually suggestive position. She was violated further by being left with little clothing covering her body. Colette's grandfather and brother hurriedly contacted the police, and officers searching nearby quickly arrived at the scene. Decades later, Colette's mother spoke about how she learned her daughter had been murdered. I was sitting in an armchair 
by the window in the lounge and there was a police officer by the front door and there was one at the top of the drive and as my son and my stepfather came back I just saw them go like that with the head and I, just, I knew, I knew straight away and I just, I just, all I can remember is screaming. From the outset, only a few details were released to the public regarding the condition in which Colette's body was found. Detective Chief Superintendent John McNaught, who was leading the murder hunt, said at the time, It is a savage crime. We do not yet know the exact cause of her death. It is clear, however, that she has been sexually assaulted. The body was partly clothed. She has a number of injuries which I am not prepared to discuss. They are not stab wounds. We are not looking for a murder weapon. Home office pathologist Dr. Alan Usher had been called to examine Colette Aram's body. Dr. Usher saw deep red marks around her neck. Once the body was removed from the scene, the pathologist undertook a more thorough examination. As initially predicted, Dr. Usher concluded that Colette had been seriously sexually assaulted before being strangled to death. Detectives scoured the country lane and surrounding fields for any evidence they could find, and their efforts paid off. In a nearby culvert, they came across Colette's missing clothing. An incident room was set up at the Platte Lane Pavilion in Keyworth under the command of DCS John McNaught. Meanwhile, the police appealed to members of the public to get in touch if they had seen Colette as she walked the route to her boyfriend's home. They also asked if anybody had seen anything or anyone out of the ordinary to reach out as well. The senior detective praised the people in the tight-knit community, saying... Everyone in the village has been so helpful. I'm sure we would have caught him by now if he lived here. But wherever he lives, he certainly knows the area. Colette was the second child in the Aram family. My brother Mark had been born two years before. Their parents, Jackie and Tony, brought up their children on Normanton Lane in Keyworth, Nottinghamshire, not far from the picturesque village of Normanton on the Wolds. Following her primary school education, Colette attended South Wolds Comprehensive. The head teacher, Alan Langton, recalled that his former student was a popular and vivacious girl, someone who enjoyed life and easily made friends. Despite her diagnosis of asthma at a young age, Colette kept fit by doing activities she enjoyed like horse riding. In the months before her death, she had also taken up karate lessons. The Arams were a tight-knit family. Jackie and Tony's daughter seemed to have bypassed the typical teenage animosity towards her parents. Colette had always kept her mother and father informed of her whereabouts, mindful not to cause them undue concern. 
Jackie recalled how her daughter was always exceptionally happy and loved to play practical jokes on the rest of the family. Jackie reminisced, there was always laughter in our home. Colette was said to be caring and empathetic, traits that would have helped if she chose to pursue her childhood dream of becoming a nurse. There were a few minor setbacks as she took steps towards working in the medical field, but Colette's resilience led her to find alternative pathways to achieve her goal. She even volunteered in local hospitals. However, it appeared that as she grew older, something shifted. Colette decided to change career paths and work in the beauty industry. At just 16 years old, she took a position as a trainee hairdresser at Salvatore's Salon in Keyworth, a business owned by her mother's aunt. Colette's hair was cut in the modern short style that was popular in 1983, and being described as an arty person, she felt that a career in hairdressing suited her perfectly. After settling into working life, she became more open with other members of staff. Her co-workers in the salon described the teenager as pleasant to be around. It seemed as though she was destined for big things in her new venture. It was planned that she would take over the salon after her training was complete. Her great-aunt had been planning on changing the name of the business to Colette's. Her mother Jackie would later contemplate what life might have been like had the tragic events never come to pass. I see girls that she was at school with and they're out with their children and their families and I often wonder then, you know, what would she be doing? Would she have children? Would I have grandchildren? I suppose it's only natural. News of Colette Aram's murder was printed in local newspapers and rapidly spread throughout the area. A positive response came from the coverage when detectives received their first tip. A man living on Willow Brook in Keyworth reported seeing a red Ford Fiesta parked outside his home at about 7.55pm on the night Colette was killed. He watched as a man climbed out of the car who appeared to have been holding a knife. The witness was so suspicious that he wrote down the car's registration plate, XRA591Y. After he read about Colette Aram's murder in the newspaper, he contacted detectives to report what he had seen. Detectives quickly discovered that the Red Fort Fiesta had been stolen from home Pierpoint at around 4.30pm the day Colette was killed. The hamlet is located just over eight miles from the village where Colette lived. At the time, the vehicle had been parked outside a riding stable near Ad Bolton Lane. Investigators spoke with the owner who said she noticed a man at the intersection of Ad Bolton Lane and Mud Pie Lane. He was chatting with a teenage boy riding a yellow chopper bicycle. The owner of the car went into the riding stable for only a short period, and when she returned she saw this same man climbing into her car and starting the engine before speeding off. 
With this new information, detectives urgently implored the teenage boy to step forward, hoping he could offer some further insight into the mystery man who was loitering near the stables. As news of the stolen car was reported, more tips trickled into the incident room. One caller reported seeing the red Ford Fiesta on Willowbrook shortly before 8pm. This was the street where Colette's boyfriend Russell Godfrey lived. The team investigating the murder considered it possible the person who stole the car could be involved in Colette's murder. That evening they found the vehicle abandoned on Mount Pleasant in Keyworth, so officers conducted door-to-door inquiries in the area hoping that somebody could offer some more insight. They heard from a local man who said he had seen someone park the stolen red Ford Fiesta and then get out. The driver was estimated to be in his early 30s and stood around 5 feet 7 to 5 feet 10 inches tall. He was of a medium build, with dark curly hair that was neatly cut. A dark-coloured full beard covered his chin and he had a moustache, both neatly trimmed. As for his clothing, the man was dressed in dark trousers and a three-quarter length coat that was either dark brown suede or sheepskin. Detectives speculated that the killer had stolen the car and then spent the next three and a half hours prowling around the area looking for someone to attack before coming across Colette walking alone at night. Their theory was bolstered when they received a report from a man living on Nicker Hill who heard a girl screaming. Considering the circumstances, it was probable the sound had come from Colette as she was grabbed by the killer. Detective Chief Superintendent McNaught stated, I can only assume she was pulled into a car. Once the vehicle was discovered by the police, it was carefully transported to the Home Office Research Unit to be examined. DCS McNaught went on to say, It is strongly suspected that the man who stole the car is connected with the death of Colette Aram. An appeal was directed to the public once more asking anybody who had seen the Red Ford Fiesta on the evening of Sunday, October 30th to get in touch with the police immediately. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Colette Aram's murder unsettled the country, but it instilled terror in Keyworth. The presence of a potential opportunistic killer brought profound fear among women, deterring them from venturing out alone, especially at night. Margaret Crump, who lived in Nicker Hill, touched on that collective feeling of alarm when she said, It doesn't seem possible that something like this could happen on our own doorstep. Margaret disclosed that typically she would walk down the lane to catch the bus to Nottingham, but now she found herself second-guessing that routine. Instead of relying on public transportation, she had resorted to calling a taxi. Colette's neighbour Janice Morris also voiced her concern on the matter. Speaking to a reporter for the local newspaper The Evening Post, Janice stated, We were very good friends and what has happened has sickened and terrified me. How can anyone possibly understand what she must have gone through? Janice, who had two children, vowed to never let them go out on their own again. She was also too frightened to venture out alone. As November 1st arrived, the investigation intensified with detectives carrying out more door-to-door inquiries. It wouldn't be long before the police would have taken over 2,000 statements. Colette's boyfriend, Russell Godfrey, had fully cooperated with the detectives from the start, although he remained too distraught to address the public. 
His father, John Godfrey, shared his grief, saying, I'm too choked up to say anything. We're all very shocked and upset at what has happened. It's terrible, terrible. Colette's mother would recall her reaction to the news of her daughter's murder years later in an interview with the Evening Post. She said, Something just came over me. What? I don't know. I phoned work and I was really quite calm. I said I'm sorry I won't be into work today because Colette's been murdered. After that I can just remember all these screams again. The following day a photo fit of the suspect was released to the media. It was based on the description provided by the eyewitness who had seen the suspect exiting the stolen vehicle armed with a knife. The owner of the car had provided her own description of the suspect. However, a significant inconsistency emerged between the two accounts, specifically the presence of a beard. The individual who witnessed the theft of the Red Ford Fiesta voiced a conflicting description of the suspect and thought he did not have any facial hair. In contrast, the witness who observed a man climbing out of the car said the suspect had a beard and moustache. This intriguing disparity led detectives to consider that the suspect might have been wearing a disguise after stealing the vehicle. In response, the police began inquiring at theatrical supply stores across the East Midlands, seeking any leads on individuals who had recently purchased false beards and moustaches. Simultaneously, they appealed to anyone involved in the costume business to come forward with any relevant information to assist in the investigation. Following the release of the photo fit, the Evening Post played a role in assisting the inquiry. Approximately 1,000 copies of this image were printed and distributed throughout Nottinghamshire and the southern regions of the country. The paper's dedication to the investigation was appreciated by detectives, as DCS McNaught remarked, We are grateful for anything which will help us track down this man. I hope the public will look at the posters and contact us immediately if they think they know the man. The fact that the car had been stolen from nearby home pier point and then abandoned led detectives to speculate that the killer was a local man. He knew where to go, what he was doing, and most likely left the scene on foot, meaning he was confident in navigating the area. On November 5th, the second photo fit was made of the suspect without a beard. This updated image was produced based on the detailed description of another eyewitness. A 16-year-old girl had come forward to detectives, asserting that she had observed the suspect behind the wheel of the Red Ford Fiesta in Keyworth several hours prior to Colette's abduction. Except for the absence of facial hair, a second photo fit closely mirrored the original. With the new image of the man who possibly killed Colette Aram, more members of the public reported sightings of the Red Fort Fiesta on the day of Colette's abduction. 
This influx of information allowed detectives to create a comprehensive map that illustrated the various locations where the stolen car had been spotted. The vehicle was first seen at 4.45pm in Mount Pleasant. Another sighting of the car came sometime later when the Ford Fiesta was parked outside a shopping area on Wolds Drive in Keyworth, around 10 miles southeast. The vehicle was then spotted at 6.20pm after crossing Church Drive and heading back towards Mount Pleasant. The Fiesta continued on its journey along Wolds Rise, Winbreck Drive and Normanton Lane before turning on to Nicker Hill around 7pm. At approximately 7.45pm another eyewitness reported seeing the car on Selby Lane heading towards Wolds Drive. This witness was a 14-year-old girl. She had briefly communicated with the driver when he asked for directions to Wald's Drive. By 8pm the vehicle was parked in Willowbrook and was then seen departing heading towards Nicker Hill. What happened next remained the subject of conjecture, but detectives believed it was along Nicker Hill that Colette Aram was intercepted by her killer. In an effort to further the investigation, on November 7th, detectives called for the assistance of a hypnotist. Their decision had been prompted by an eyewitness who saw the Red Ford Fiesta parked outside his home. During the hypnosis session, the witness recalled seeing something he hadn't revealed when he first spoke with the police. He said that the man was wearing a pair of dark gloves. Just the next day, detectives receive reports of a bearded man driving around villages in South Nottinghamshire on Sunday, a week after Colette was killed. An unnamed eyewitness reported seeing the individual driving a minivan and acting suspiciously. The witness reported the sighting to the Evening Post. I was working on one of my vehicles about 8.30am this Sunday when the van slowly went past me. I saw him another three times that morning. The man was described as having a beard. He was said to look remarkably similar to the photo fit of Colette's killer. Detectives announced they were chasing up this lead and following up on another they received around the same time. According to Sylvia Widowson, a barmaid at Generous Britain, a local pub in Costock. An unfamiliar man entered the premises at about 9pm on the night Colette was killed. In the small village approximately five miles southwest of Keyworth, strangers always stood out, and the barmaid noticed the man's well-groomed beard and hair. She recalled him as standing about five feet eight inches tall, and wearing a brown suede jacket with grey trousers, which were stained. Sylvia Widowson recalled, The first thing I noticed was he had blood in the cracks of his fingers and under his fingernails. Sylvia was paying close attention to the man's hands, and he noticed. As he left, he went to the bathroom. When the man returned some time later, his hands were clean. 
he ordered some orange squash and lemonade and a ploughman's roll. He told Sylvia that he had driven up the M1 to visit a power station employee who had recently been injured at work and underwent an operation. The man at the bar said he had come off the motorway one junction early and ended up at the pub. Sylvia chatted with the customer, her eyes locked on an unusual tobacco tin sitting on the table in front of him. The lid was painted and she also noticed he was wearing a gold earring in his left ear. He didn't stay long after finishing his drink and food. He left just as quietly as he had arrived. Detectives went to the pub and collected evidence, including used towels from the bathroom, in an effort to find the blood he had washed from his hands. They also trawled through hospital records and inquired with local power stations about an accident, but failed to find any evidence to support the man's claims. While looking into what leads they had, another line of inquiry was discovered by the detectives working on the murder case. According to the owner of the Red Ford Fiesta, A cassette tape recorder and two cassettes were left in the car the night it was stolen. However, these items were noticeably absent when the car was processed for evidence. The cassette recorder was produced by Philips, a popular brand at the time. The device could either be powered by battery or mains. The first of the cassette tapes was Michael Jackson's album Thriller and the second contained music by Odyssey. After the press informed the public that these items could be deemed more valuable than their financial worth, a local man came forward. He reported seeing them at the bottom of a hedge at a junction between Widmer Pole and Weisel Road. However, when the area was searched, they could not be found. Detectives considered that somebody may have picked up the items, so appealed to members of the public to get in touch if they had. Surprisingly, just the following day, a man from Barrow-on-Sour handed them to the police, and forensic experts began examining the evidence. By this point in the investigation, over 80 detectives were working on the case, trying to identify the killer. It was the most intensive police hunt Keyworth had ever seen, and leads were coming in from the public in droves. The team was eager to look into every possibility, but it was a mammoth task. In their search for the person responsible, detectives had interviewed or spoken to almost everyone who lived in the village. While investigators first believed that the killer was someone from the area, Now they weren't so sure. Another theory that detectives considered was that the killer had known Colette Aram and was driving around the area waiting for her to walk to her boyfriend's home alone. One frustrated detective remarked, We know virtually everything about him, except his name and address. On November 18th, 
Detectives made a public appeal for assistance in locating the man who had been spotted in the village pub near Kostok after Colette's abduction. The days passed, but detectives were no further forward in their investigation. On November 21st, they concentrated their search on the Lady Bay area of West Bridgeford. They were searching for the teenage boy seen conversing with the potential suspect before the red Ford Fiesta was stolen. Furthermore, during this time, another murder was reported around 30 miles away in Narborough in Leicestershire. 15-year-old Linda Mann had disappeared after leaving her home to visit a friend. Her body was discovered in a field following a full-scale police search. She had been sexually assaulted and then strangled. Due to the similarities in the two cases, detectives investigating Colette Aram's murder feared that her killer may have struck again. Both victims were teenagers. Both had left their homes in the early evening. Both were strangled and sexually assaulted. And both lived close to the M1. To investigate this potential lead, detectives working in Keyworth travelled south to speak with officers in Leicestershire. Unexpectedly, a further development unfolded. The police received a letter from somebody claiming to be the killer. Staff at a sorting office located at the post office headquarters had stumbled upon the correspondence. It was promptly handed over to investigators. The letter's content was striking to detectives for several reasons. It was written entirely in capital letters on plain paper, seemingly cut from a larger sheet, possibly cartridge paper. The writing seemed to have been produced with a mapping pen, likely a 0.5 size nib, and employed brown or red ink. The penmanship appeared contrived, deviating from a natural writing style, suggesting an attempt to conceal the author's true identity. Curiously, the letter featured an exclamation mark in place of the letter S, a detail that led detectives to surmise the author might possess knowledge of computers. Within the letter, the writer claimed to have been searching for a victim at home Pierpoint. It read in part... As it is, you will never find me. I was in a hut for hours waiting for a girl to return from horse riding. No one saw me. When the car came with keys, I could not help take it. Interestingly, the police noted there was a hut just a short distance from where the Red Ford Fiesta had been stolen in Home Pierpoint. The letter continued... Masks are common around Halloween. No one knows what I look like. That is why you have not got me. The author of the correspondence also revealed that they never planned on killing Colette, just sexually assaulting her. I know I strangled her when a car passed. She would have got me caught. The letter claimed that Colette was not dead when the killer left the scene and suggested she died due to the cold. The writer also revealed that after abandoning the car, 
they walked home through the fields. Detectives believe that the letter was written by the killer as opposed to a hoax. Part of the correspondence read, To show it was me, did she ever wear a blouse? On the day Colette was killed, she wore a blouse, although this information was never disclosed publicly. When her body was discovered, the item of clothing was loosely knotted around her wrist. Detectives decided to publicly release the letter on December 7th. DCS John McNaught again appealed to the public, asking that they put their feelings aside when considering if someone they knew was responsible. The officer stated, The author of this letter could be a husband, son, brother, lodger, student, friend or teammate. Simultaneously, detectives issued a more detailed picture of the suspect, describing him as having wide nostrils and a broad nose bridge. The individual was noted as soft-spoken, and their rough hands hinted at a background in manual labour. The letter was not the only bizarre communication in the weeks that followed Colette's murder. Within days of the crime, her parents had received a number of phone calls at their home. Hour after hour, the phone would ring, and when they lifted the receiver, they were only met by silence on the other end of the line. Colette's mother, Jackie, later said, Colette had only been dead a few days, and a girl rang up and asked to speak to her. I asked who she was, and she said she was a friend. I said, if you're a friend, you would know she's dead. And she put the phone down. I don't know how I stayed calm. Used to get someone phone every day between 2pm and 3pm. The phone calls would continue for the next couple of hours. I used to breathe down the phone. I was beginning to think I was going out of my mind. I remember when my friends took me out for the day, then the phone rang. They saw me go stiff. I was speaking, saying, who is it? And a few seconds later, the phone rang again. It made everything worse. It's bad enough having to cope with the fact that your daughter has been murdered without all the additional stress that was on top. It tore my family apart. This is the end of episode 20. The second instalment in this two-part case will be available in four days. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode... Please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.